0: We're going to go through this step by step, and I reason I gave you notes instead of uh, instead of reading it because I want you to follow along. Because we're going to do some reading and some commenting and some reading and some commenting together um, as we work through this here. Let's start off if we could before you pick up your notes. Let's start off, and I'm going to read to you uh, Ephesians chapter one. We're going to go through Ephesians one to. 1 and 2 tonight, so let's read Ephesians 1 here uh, before we begin, and I'm going to read it, even though I don't like to read it very much publicly, I'm going to read it out of the King James, because what we'll be using tonight will be King James, so that way you'll see some of the wording, but let's go through, and we're going to read Ephesians 1, and then we'll go back through, and we'll work through this to give you sort of the context. Ephesians 1 And chapter, chapter one and verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God of the Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made us known unto the mystery having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have attained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of glory, who first who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that ye have heard the Word of God Word of truth, the Gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye have believed you were sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise and glory of God. Wherein also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, May give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that ye may know which, what is the hope of your calling and what the riches of the glory of His, of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He had wrought in Christ. Then he had raised him from the dead and set him on the right hand in heavenly places. For above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in which it is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So that's sort of chapter one. There's a lot of good things in there. It's hard to read it without wanting to comment on it. But let's, if you would, if you got notes we have some notes on the back for those who come in they can grab. we have some extras. just put some yeah, put some there in the back and that way if they come in late. Let's go through this a little bit, and I want to start first of all you'll see in the very first one reason I put this is i am I'm, I'm a big i'm a big uh I hate to use the word big fan that's a terrible way of putting it, but I can't think of a better way to say it I'm a big fan on cult- on on sort of the 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 culture of the Bible. I think sometimes we, we, lo- we lose a little bit in reading the Bible because we don't stop long enough to think about the fact they're real people dealing with real problems in a real world. I think a little bit of the time we kind of look at biblical, in my opinion, maybe, maybe you don't think this way. But I think we look at biblical people as a little prehistoric and we're a little sophisticated. And we forget that these were some really smart people and had some really smart things going on, and they weren't as culturally barbaric as we make them out to be, that the Greek and the, and the Roman culture that they were exposed to was extremely advanced. The cities were extremely advanced. In fact, there were things that uh, went away at the fall of the Roman Empire that took man another twelve to 1,200 years to bring about after it was lost. So these people were very sophisticated. And I think that's important because sometimes I believe we use the excuse, well, you know, it's just so hard to live for God in the world we live in because we got this going on, we got that going on, we're exposed to this and we're exposed to that. And yes, I get to a degree, we face challenges nobody's ever faced. The internet, social media, all these things are massive. They have good good qualities, but they got some really negative stuff to them. And it's, an, and it's an issue. It's a, it's a challenge for us today in the world we live in. But there's a lot of things that they faced back then. And, and the big, big, one of the big topics nowadays is, well, you know, the political climate and the, the climate of, of the declining morals of this country are just, it's so, so hard. Nobody wants this. You need to go back and look, the, look at the morals of the first century church and what they dealt with. You want to talk about some, some moral decay there's stuff in here, there's stuff that happened and they dealt with that I, I, can't, I can't even say right now over the pulpit because there's small children here that are just staggering to me that they dealt with. So I think there's some things we need to really reassess and I, that's why I put some of the stuff in here because I think it's important for us to understand sort of that when Paul's talking, he's not just talking a bunch of people hiding out in a cave, drawing stick figures on the wall. These are some serious people, they had some, they had some really um, some some uh some some legit lives and dealt with some things so uh, let 's go back verse uh, page one here top left let 's column uh, Ephesus was an incredibly powerful and wealthy city in the ancient world of paul 's times Now listen to this it had marble streets, mosaic sidewalks, a massive temple to Diana that was considered one of the modern Wonders of, the, was called wonders of the Greek world. It had a busy port, popular athletic arena. Sounds like a lot of cities nowadays. One of the finest libraries in the first century. Villas filled with artwork, tapestries, silks, exotic birds, animals. Even today, the restored Colosseum at Ephesus is considered one of the finest performing arts center in the world. It was into this influential city of a half million. This wasn't a little ho-dunk town. A half million people that the Apostle Paul brought the gospel and planted a church. Now, why are we talking about Ephesus? Why use Ephesus? There's, there's so many, I mean, we got Romans and Galatians and uh, all kinds of good stuff. Why Ephesians? Partly because this, Ephesians from church history tells us Ephesians had one of the largest churches in the first century. But when I say church, what do we go to? Oh, what what size was they building? No, no, no. They had somewhat estimates. They had twenty to thirty thousand believers, and they did in a very similar to what we're doing. They were a church built on house churches. It doesn't take much study to find that out. They had a they had a bishop. They had a pastor. But this so this is why I like to talk about Ephesians because we're talking to people that are trying to do the same thing we're doing. So the city of a half million people, the Apostle Paul brought the gospel and planted the church. He worked longer here than anywhere else, staying nearly for three years, according to Acts chapter 19. Later in his ministry, he called the elders of the Ephesian church to meet with him and Miletus and exhorted them to be vigilant against the inevitable opposition from within and without that would become what would come against the church after his death. Now you can read that. I'm not going tonight. Acts chapter 20. Uh, verses twenty through thirty-two. That's sort of Paul's plea, but there. But the point of all this is this: Paul is trying to wolf-proof the believers, and that is the reason for his teaching in the book of Ephesians. There, there's a lot of things in Ephesians, and a lot of different things we can pull out. But the overall theme of Ephesians—it's really Paul's attempt to, as I, as as, it, as we're saying it tonight, is to wolf-proof the church in Ephesus. Contrary to the experience of many religious people today, becoming a Christian is not like joining a social club where you simply pay your dues, or we call them tithes, pay your dues once in a while, hang out occasionally with casual friends at a group facility, sit back and reap the prestigious benefits of membership. Amen to that? Can I at least get one amen? I know we're reading, but it's... No, becoming a Christian in the biblical sense of the word... Is more like enlisting in the army. Ho, oh, time out. Whoa. I didn't sign up for that. That's a huge point there, we have to understand. Becoming a Christian. We have some soldiers in here, we have some former soldiers. They'll tell you it obviously it's a dumb answer, it's a dumb statement, but civilian life and military life, they're not the same. And really, in the military, when you become a soldier, you don't get an opinion i have never seen a sergeant go up to a private and say, now, listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I know you're tired from marching. And if you don't want to do it, it's okay. I just, I just fear to ask. Now, um, could, you just, could you march a little farther? Now, guys, listen, the enemy's over on that hill, and we need to take it. Now, I know you guys don't want to run. But we, Come on, guys, we can do it. That's not how the military works. I could, you could ask every soldier, sailor, marine in this room if they agreed with every command they were given. Hey! <laughs> we have some soldiers that are laughing. Come on, brother, that mine. You're a marine. Do you always agree with, this, with the orders you're given? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. But I think that's the biggest problem, I think, with Christians is, how about this one? Paul said, Endure hardness as a good soldier. Endure hardness, but we've made church more of a social club than it is enlistment in the army. I think if, we would, you, could, if you would change that mindset right there a little bit in your mind, it would make your it would change perspective on your walk with God immensely. Because we want we want to make everything coddled and perfect and easy, and God's not interested in that. Becoming a Christian is, in the biblical sense of the word, is more like enlisting in the army. We find that immediately that a conflict is raging with the eternal consequence for us and for others, and that, with, and that every experience of our new life with God is actually training for this intense spiritual warfare. The good news is that our commander is a brilliant military strategist, and he's already defeated our enemy hands down. However, he has left it up to us to enforce every day in earth's trenches, The victory that has been won in the heavenlies. The book of Ephesians serves as a believer's boot camp, teaching us that the church is equipped. Everybody say is equipped. Not going to be equipped, not needs to pray to be equipped, that we are equipped. That's not written in a future tense. That's not written in a past tense. That's written as what we have. We are equipped. We are equipped, we are equipped with a vast spiritual weapon in order to accomplish this very task. All that remains is for us to unseal our marching orders, take up our weapons, and storm the gates of hell. Victory is ours if we fight for it. This is serious training for serious Christians. So let's get a little bit here, and in the, in the, let's, let's start to move towards the meat of it here if we can. The book of Ephesians is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament book of Joshua. The believers are people who have ceased. From aimless wandering. And have started warring. God has given them a promise. But has declared. That they will have to fight some battles. To lay claim with. I'm glad you have a word. But just because you have a word. Doesn't mean everything in your life's going to go perfect. In fact at the time when you get a word. That means be prepared. Everyone that prays for a word, you don't realize what you're praying for. God, give me a word. Okay, God, I don't need a word anymore. I'm good. Stop sending me the word. That's a big deal. Is, I mean, you know, we, we, we don't understand with, with, with even with revelation comes that great responsibility. And great promises are great. But promises, Paul said to Timothy, with the promises going before you, make war. You got to fight for some stuff. It's not going to be easy. Let me stop for a second. I'm terrible at teaching. I can't, I I get rabbit trails. You cannot judge the will of God based off circumstances. Say that again. You cannot judge the will of God based on circumstances. I can't tell you how many times someone's come to me, well, it's all working out. must be the will of God. Really? Or, you know what? I thought it was the will of God, but it's just not working. Really? You need to go back and read some people that were walking in the will of God and look at their life. Paul had a terrible track record of following the will of God, if that's the case. He said, I was often hungry, shipwrecked, beat up, slapped, smacked, whipped, kicked. He had rocks thrown on his head till he was found basically pronounced dead. What about the will of God? He was in the will of God. Too many people struggle following the will of God because you base the will of God based on your circumstances and how good things are going. And the moment they go south, you think, well, I'm not the will of God. Or the moment something happens, good. Oh, it must be the will of God. Be careful. Just because a job offers you more money doesn't mean that's the will of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just be, just because your boss is the devil doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. You may be sent there to pray for him, See he lose his horns. See, I'm telling you you feel that, don't you <laughs> Give God has given them a promise, but has declared that they must fight some battles to lay claim it. However, the victory is assured because God's army is well equipped, and that's why Paul begins Ephesians by taking out talking about the resources of God. Verse chap, verse one chapter one, verse three. The reason God can bless us is that He has blessed God. He is a blessed God. He is not frail or impoverished. He has every resource at His disposal and the devil doesn't own anything. Thank you, Jesus. Can someone say Amen to that? God is a there's a lot of stuff here you're probably going to need to underline, come back and read it again. God is a good parent. God is a good parent. He is not only good to us, oh, but you get ready? He is good for us. Thank you. I'm an amen myself. Sometimes He doesn't give us everything all at once for His own reasons. When the blessings come, we need to be mature enough to handle it. Verse 3 again, God hath blessed us, past tense, past tense, past tense. You say, I'm living the blessed life. You were living the blessed life the moment you were baptized in Jesus' name. It's not, not stepping into your blessing. You're already in your blessing. God has blessed us. Past tense. We all we are already we already have access to the resources of heaven. How, don't answer this question. How many times have you prayed, God, give me more of your spirit? As if when you got the Holy Ghost, he said, I'm going to give you a little bit. You got everything you needed when you received him. Now, you just don't understand it. And it takes maturity to know what you have. But you've got what you need. And the reason why we do that, can I be honest with you? Reason why we do that is because if we do that and God doesn't answer our prayer, we can say, well, we can't do it because he had not given us the power to do it. We're, we are, this world is, a, is masterful at passing the blame to somebody else. My goodness, if you if you treat women wrong, well, I, it wasn't me. I need to go to I need to go to 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 count to, to therapy or to rehab. No, you just need to stop being a jerk. Seriously, everybody wants to blame something. No, you got a problem. You can't control your flesh. That's the problem. It's not because you got some kind of disease. You out of you had out of control flesh. You don't need therapy. You need Jesus. But we all want to. We want to point the finger. Oh, I can't do this. That's the attitude of a world. Blessing of God are a finished work from God's viewpoint. We possess our promised land right now. All of the blessings we, we can ever receive from God have already been created. The first step to possessing them is believing that God. Has what we need, the second step into possessing them is taking what he has promised to us. Two steps. Believing it and taking it. Not the same. You gotta believe it. But with faith comes action. So believe and you take. Most believers spend their entire lives reading the will and shouting over the contract. But never living in the promise that God has decreed. Why? Why? Because they're not willing to fight the necessary spiritual battles. You are rich beyond measure in Christ. Do you actually believe that? You say yes, but I got a question based off the way you walk your life and the way you walk with God. If that really is the case. Our blessings are first and foremost spiritual blessings. Remember, we pre- I preached on this several weeks ago. Uh, Severin, I don't believe you were there. We talked about when Jesus, when, the, when, when they lowered the man out of the, the ceiling to Jesus, and uh, when the room was filled, the first thing that Jesus did was he addressed his spiritual need before he addressed his natural need. God's always going to take your spiritual for your natural. I heard one man say it. It's, it's a beautiful statement. God's more worried about your character than your comfort. That's why sometimes that back ache, that headache, that side ache, whatever it is. God could heal it, but that thing may be what you need to keep you humble to keep you saved. Our blessings are firm, are first and foremost spiritual blessings, but when we focus on them, spiritual blessings have a way of working in working into other realms of everyday living and producing. Abundant life. Second Corinthians four eighteen says, While we walk not while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All spiritual blessings are eternal. They existed before we did, and when we become a child of when we become God's child, he deposited them into our spiritual bank account. Everything you need to live for God is already in you by His Spirit. Natural blessings are only temporary. Natural blessings are only temporary. Natural blessings are only temporary. But spiritual blessings last forever. That's why God never goes into emergency mode. He has already done everything He needs to do to deliver you. You are not waiting on your deliverance until God chooses to give it. You already possess it, but you need to fight for it you got to kind of turn and flip at the same time there, the way the copier was operating today. Jesus didn't hear the woman bowed over for 18 years as much as he made known, It's supposed to be known unto her, I said that was a typo, known unto her what she already possessed in the covenant. Luke thirteen twelve. and when Jesus saw her, he called unto her and said unto her, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity verse 16 and and ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham who Satan hath bound low these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the sabbath day notice this there's two things in that verse he spoke to her and said you're loose but notice he came back and the and the and and Luke put in there that she was a child of Abraham whom Satan hath bound meaning she had a covenant blessing on her that she was not possessing and because of that and she wasn't living in her covenant blessing it gave access to the enemy to come and bind her for 18 years I wonder how many things that you're struggling with that God's already given you the answer for but you're not walking in that answer my goodness we seek for an answer and God gives it to us but then next thing you know we're seeking for an answer again revelations there God gives you the word You don't need another one. You don't need someone to explain it to you 15 times. You know, some people, it's amazing. And watch them. When they have a problem, they go from person to person. In my opinion, the reason why I do that is because we're trying to find which answer appeals most to the flesh, which answer requires the least change, which answer is going to help me get out of this situation without having to do anything. The process of maturing in in Christ Jesus is simply learning how to work out what God has already placed in us, spiritual maturity is living from spiritual reality resident in us through the Holy Ghost instead of living according to our outward circumstances. I need to read that one more time because that's a huge, huge point. Spiritual maturity is living from the spiritual reality resident in you through Holy Ghost instead of living according to the outward circumstance. What does that mean? Paul said, whatever state I have, I'm have, i in, I've learned to be content." We let our outward have more influence on our inward than we, we as believers God ever intended. us. That's why I said, I've used this statement, and it's not a, I've heard others use it similar to this, so it's not totally original with me. But the point is, the church, the, the world has influenced the church more than the church has ever influenced the world at this point. But I wonder how much our world, and I'm not meaning the second, I'm just talking about what we're exposed to has more of an influence on us internally. And it needs to, because we base everything on our ups and downs, and all of the turmoil that we go through is based on that external circumstance. A baby in its mother's womb has every gene, every chromosome, every trait of an adult already built in it, into it from the moment of conception. That's the way it is when we receive the Holy Ghost. If we allow it, God's spirit in us will continue to lead us into new. Capabilities and possibilities you don't know everything God has planned for you, but it will be awesome. If I ask most of you tonight and and don't get offended, just just roll with me for a second. If I ask you most of you tonight share with me your your spiritual experience. most of you would go back and talk about the moment you were saved that salvation moment, that redemptive moment. That would be sort of the, the thing you would do. And and not, I'm not diminishing that or here's what I you used to be a drug, I used to this and was into that and that, but God saved me and all that. And I'm not diminishing that. But it'd be kind of silly if I if I walked up to Ronnie, I'm gonna pick on you, Ronnie. And how old are you, Ronnie? Can you tell? Can we tell forty years of apart. It'd be kind of strange if I walked up to Ronnie as a forty year old man and said, Ronnie, tell me about tell me about yourself. And he pulled out a baby picture of himself. So look at me, I was a cute baby, wasn't I? Because even though his birth is what got him here, he's not defined by the birth. We would find it be strange if he had, a, as a 40-year-old man, his biggest achievement was the fact he was born. It's amazing to me that people have been around church for 10, 20, 30 years, and still their greatest achievement is the fact that they were born. I'm glad to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm glad to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But that wasn't my ceiling. That was my floor. And if I constantly refer back to that as the mountaintop experience, I've never matured in God. That's like saying when I was, you know, look when I was a baby, but I never learned to walk. I never learned to feed myself. I never learned to wipe myself. I never learned to clothe myself. I never learned my responsibility to get a job, to produce, to be productive in society. But I was born. It's amazing to me how we have allowed and how we we justify spiritual immaturity and really, I'm going to use this term. I'll be very kind how I use it, but spiritual handicaps. For instance, if you do something for a child way past the age that needs to be done, for a child that doesn't need, it, and those children need that need it. But what about a child? A child that, uh, for for instance, uh, uh, just a, a child that can walk. Let's just put it that way. If a child that can walk, if you carry that child everywhere because little Johnny doesn't want to walk you can take healthy legs and they never develop strength and you can take what's healthy and they become weak because they don't want to go through the effort of learning how to walk and they don't want to fail and they don't want to and every parent that's ever raised a child that's learned how to walk you understand that failure is a part of the process. And you'll go through and you pick them back up and you pat them and say, you can do it again. But you don't say, oh God, they failed. You don't don't ever do it again. I don't want to see you do it. I remember, my goodness, everyone, if you've ever, now some of you may have been more skilled than me. The process, I was about 17, 17, 16, 17, somewhere like that. The process of learning how to drive a manual car, a stick shift. If you've ever had that experience, some pick it up quicker than others. And I would th- think I was pretty decent. But the first little bit is absolutely just, how can I say this? Humbling, spiritually purging. It's rough. It's rough. And, man, I remember my dad was trying to teach me. So we he took the car out on the street, the, the neighborhood street. And, man, I'm telling you what, about the first 10 attempts, I'm trying to put that thing in first gear and it just and undo it, get it in and turn it back on. Okay, I'm gonna do it this time. And you're trying to find that perfect, letting the clutch out, putting it, and it woop And I'm like, I'm like getting out of the car. I can't do this. I'm never gonna do it, it's terrible. So even though my dad did, it was hilarious. My mom at the time had a had a had a little manual Volkswagen Beetle. And he said, Hey, here's what I want you to do. He gave me the keys. I still couldn't drive it. He said, here, I want you to take this down to the gas station and get it car, car washed. I was like, it's not even dirty. He said, I need to take it down and get it the car wash." So there I go, getting a little car. Can't, I'm, I'm struggling to get this thing. And I remember it was one of the most, oh, God, the memories, one of those memories of your life. You're in the line, and one of the hardest parts, if you're learning to drive a stick, one of the hardest parts of driving a stick is is just barely inching. It's that barely inching up because, you know, it takes a little skill. to, And you're in line, and you're not blazing off the line. You're just trying to move up. And I finally had gotten through. I'd, I'd stalled out three or four times. But I finally got up, and I paid my little money, put my little money in the, in, the, in, the, in the car wash thing. And it's that moment where you roll into the car wash. And I was trying to be good because that thing sprays you when you first walk in, first drive in. But the problem was, the car wash has a little bit of a lip. Your car, most car wash has that. So you're, that was a bad, bad deal for me. Because I knew if I gunned it, I'd go through the car wash. And I guarantee this is not a joke. I probably stalled out 10 times. And people were blowing their horn behind me. I'm freaking out. I'm panicking. The car wash is about to turn off. I'm about to lose my money trying to get this thing. Then finally, I get in there, finally get the car into the car wash, and when I get out, I can't get it out of the little, little dip it's in. I can't get enough. Finally, I got it, but in the process of that, it looks like I was the start line of the Indy 500. I blaze out of the car wash at about 100 miles an hour. Finally, get to the light. And I'm right there and I'm like sweating and it's been an emotional day and I'm depressed and I'm like, this is crazy. And I'm sitting there at the light and next thing you know, I mean, I burned tires for 40 feet. The process was absolutely just crazy. But you know what? It clicked. Not everything in your walk with God. Is going to be perfect. Not everything you're going to learn in God is going to be. We accept that with life. But for some reason with God, we expect it just to happen like this. The first time you go minister to somebody, it's not going to all flow out of you. Well, I, I pray for somebody, but it didn't sound like, you know, the pastor or somebody that's. You know what? They've been doing it for 40 years. I've heard people say, well, oh, I, I, I I studied the Bible. I just don't study like Bishop Wright. You're right. Until you got 50 years of study and you won't be there. But that doesn't mean we can't progress and mature. And there's going to be failures. And there's going to be times where there's ups and downs. But it's about maturing. When the devil comes against you, you need to recognize that he is not only challenging where you are, he is troubled over where you where of. Over what has been deposited in you for your future. Notice the devil can't read your thoughts, and the devil doesn't know the plan of God, but he recognizes the hand of God. And when is the greatest we, greatest vulnerability? It's always in the infancy, the beginning of something. Notice he tried to kill Moses, tried to kill Jesus. When did he try to kill him? In the beginning stages. He is intimidated by your destiny and is fighting to keep you from possessing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But as it is written, I have not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it even entered the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for him that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. We're going to come back to that in just a moment as we get a little farther down here. God has chosen you. So if not one person on the face of the earth showed any love toward you or valued you in the slightest way, this verse shatters all that rejection by telling you that God chose you before He created the heavens and the earth. You are loved and you are wanted. Verse 4 He hath past tense, and we should future tense. That's why we want to be to please God because of the wonderful things. He has done for us. The word holy there, verse 4, is our inner relationship. And without blame is our outer relationship. Both lived before him. What does that mean? It's not only what, how we deal with ourselves, but it's also how we deal with others, how we walk with him. According is the same root word, musical term is chord. In harmony with God, it's pleasure, purpose, and power. Which this word, watch this word in Ephesians. No believer can live a holy and blameless life without God's spirit. The word predestined, that's a word there. I don't have time to get to the depths of all of this. Uh, That's why I'm encouraging you to go back in to look through it. But predestined, we had no influence on God choosing us because we didn't exist yet and had no access to him. But God planned a script for our Christian lives the last scene of the movie is often shot first, and then the first then the other scene shot in the context. Note the word again, according. it means to be in accord like a musical term, all working together. God is not making us making up his plan as he goes along. That's the reason he doesn't get hysterical about the things you get hysterical about. Praise the Lord. <laughs> hallelujah. This is a fixed fight. God knows he is going to win in the end. Satan created a a dilemma when he seduced Adam into sin because he was trying to get God to work against himself. As long as what what God loved, man, was separated from what God hated, sin, there was no conflict. Because God could love what he loved and hate what he hated. But when what he hated got into what he loved... But when he hated got into what he loved, it created a conflict. If he killed what he hated, he would have killed what he loved. And if he loved what he hate, and if he loved what he loved, he would have he would have he would have, he would have to love what he hated because what what he loved now had to had what he hated inside. This was the dilemma. But Satan has never been able to create a dilemma that God has not been able to out-strategize. In fact, there was already a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Can we say amen to that? We don't serve a God who reacts, praise God. Someone needs to hear that because this is a huge deal. It sounds like a simple deal, but it's true. We don't serve a reactive God. We serve a God who sovereignly acts. He is never on the defensive, but always on the offensive. And nothing that the enemy ever does can abort what God has already done. There is no way Satan can outmaneuver God. God is not a contractor. He is an architect. We are a building building in time what he has designed in eternity. So just give up on your own little plan and build his plan in your life. Say yes to his design for you. Now, I'm not going to go through the breakdown there of the rest remaining verses because what really would be great for you to do is to go through and to look at each verse there and look at the little notes there and work your way through it. But I want to draw for you because I wanted to come back to it. I want to go back to verse, uh, just because I want to pull this out here, the Let's see here the verse that talks about the mystery, the mystery, mystery. Someone help me out there. Was there we go, verse nine. This is a great verse here because I don't believe I put this in the notes. I'm, uh, let me let me go back and check and make sure I'm not being re- redundant. Verse nine. No, just according. Okay, because verse nine, I want to pull out something I thought is very interesting. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which he had purpose. I want you to look at this interesting word. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. That seems sort of like a contradiction there, his will, but it's mysterious. But this is quite interesting. Again, this is where context and culture comes into play. Because this word mystery, and I believe the Greek is "mysterion," which can mean sort of the, uh, the, the, the secret of a secret society. Yet, secret societies that had had secret societies that had secrets. Isn't that brilliant? Uh, that had different secrets that only those that were in the society in the in the club knew. You know, they got the special handshake. Little rascals! I think they were the he-man woman haters, wasn't it? Something like that. Wasn't their sign? Ha! So was it? Someone remember that? That that was so. Secret societies had secret things only those in the society knew. So there's part of that. But this mystery of his will is quite interesting because a, com- a, a king or a, a, a leader would give his commander his plan for the battle. It would be called the Mysterion, the mystery. And the, the commander would not reveal the plan to the soldier until it was time act the only thing he would reveal to him was the next step because the whole purpose in that was to protect the cause and protect the orders and if he gave the orders to all the soldiers and that soldier fell into enemy's hands before the battle was started, the soldier could be tortured and all the battle plans could be extracted from him and they would know the plan. So the, so the king would give it to the commander and the commander would protect the plan because he wanted to protect the outcome. But the soldier only knew, what are we doing? We're marching to that tree. What are we doing when we get to that tree? Don't worry about it, I'll tell you when we get there. Okay, we're at the tree. Now we go, you're going towards that hill. What are we going to do when we get there? Just get to the hill. When they got to the hill, where are we going? Now we're going to go across this valley. What do we do when we get there? I don't. You just go across the valley. Why? It wasn't because he didn't want to tell the soldier and he didn't know, but he was trying to protect the plan. God is protecting you from your future. Do you know why sometimes God doesn't lay it all out? Because if he did, guess what? He puts a bullseye on you for the adversary. So God tells you what you need. He tells you exactly what you need. Take the next step. Sometimes, I got to be honest with you, he'll break it down just saying, get to the end of the day. What about tomorrow? Don't worry about it. Just get to today. Sometimes, I got to be honest with you, it's just how do I get to lunchtime? I'm telling you what, my wife and I have had discussions. She's in here. She can verify this. This is true. We have had hours of discussion because it felt like we have spent our entire walk with God with this dark, blank, cavernous emptiness we're walking into. And I'm hearing people like, "Oh, I had a dream when I was 16 years old and it was all, I'm like, I'm going to throw this microphone at you. Don't tell me that. I mean, I've heard the bishop say, I was in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm praying, and I saw a vision of a large white bullet on a four-lane highway right outside of Annapolis. I'm like, I can't even see my hand in front of my face. It's so dark. God never did that. I mean, I heard people like, when I got to the place where God called me, the first thing I did, I went down to the cemetery, and I bought a plot because this is where I'm going to die. I'm like, my goodness, they're going to cremate me because I have no idea where I'm going to die. But God has worked in our lives, my life, my wife's life, us jointly together. He has worked in just showing us one little piece of the plan. But I got to be honest with you. Fifteen years ago, if it had showed me this tonight, I'd been like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you can't be doing that stuff. You need to back up the ship. (laughs) Or more than likely, I got to be honest with you, if it had shown me this, these last two 15 years would have been hell. And frustrating because I'd have been like, God, what are you doing? You showed me that. Why am I here? But if I had skipped the steps in between there and here, I wouldn't be here saved. So if God's told you to march to the next tree, stop trying to figure out where you're going and just march to the next tree. Stop trying to figure out what's my purpose, what's my destiny, what's my ministry, what's my calling. You know what that does? That produces Confusion. That produces stripes a bad spirit, march to the next tree. Trust me, I'm, I'm talking about something I know because I was always wondering, God, what? And here's the problem. When you get in your mind what you think, when God comes along and yanks the wheel, your world's going to go in total chaos. Trust me on that. Because you're going to reach over to the wheel and say, no, no, Jesus, we ain't going that way. We got to go this way. And you and Jesus going to have some time together. You can eliminate all that and just simply say where's the next step? You don't need you don't need E harmony to find your husband, your wife. You just need to find the next step. You don't need you don't need all this stuff to you just need to find the next step. And sometimes that next step is simply what you're doing today. Sometimes that next step is what you're doing tomorrow. Sometimes the next step may be doing what you're, but it's the next step. And if you do those steps, the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He did not say the journey of a good man. He didn't say the destination of a good man. He broke it down to its smallest unit, the steps of a good man. Or rather by the Lord. Why? That means he was trying to get me focused on what my next step was. Not where I was going. And not what my destiny and my ministry and my calling was. Where's the next step? See, so many people get frustrated and make wrong decisions because they're worried about the des- destination more than they worry about where's the next step. Where's the next step? So you got to focus on why. And the reason why God doesn't reveal that to you sometimes is... It's not because he doesn't want to. It's because he's trying to protect you and protect his purpose in you. Praise God. That's part one. Part two won't take as long. So a couple quick things I need to go over. We're going to take an offering really quickly here um, uh, because that teaching is so good. It deserves an offering. I'm just joking. Goodness gracious. It's a joke. Um, really quickly, a couple things. Sunday, we are, we are in our new schedule. Officially, we are in a new schedule. 9:45 to 10:45 is discipleship training. At uh, 11 o'clock is our gathering, and hopefully, last week you showed versus maybe some of you that had panic. We're not going to be there all day, so even though it's a little bit of an adjustment on time, still feel like uh, we, were able, we 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 followed the Holy Ghost and God did a great work. Um, but that's going to go on, and then small groups are now meeting every week, every week. Small groups, not once every other week. Your small group is every week, so that is happening, we are going to start, this Sunday is going to be the launch of our Unlocking the Bible and everything that that's going to work with, there's a couple other things that are going to be working with Unlocking the Bible, that's going to begin this Sunday, so I'm encouraging you to do your best to be there at 945 uh, so that you can understand what's going on. And that you can participate in that. And those of you, I want to make mention of this because I know some had asked this question. Those of you that are in Sunday school uh, or other things that you may take you out of service and are out of the gathering, uh, teaching, and you won't be able to be involved with, we got you covered. We're going to give you access to the material and to the recordings of the material uh, because we, we're, we're very thankful for the sacrifice you make in participating in other ministries. So we're going to make sure you stay caught up With what's going on. So that's going to begin Sunday 9.45 to 10.45. And then the main gathering at 11. Something I want to throw out at you. That we are considering. Everybody say considering. Not a decision. It's not not ready to happen. But it's something we're considering or praying about. uh, To facilitate going forward. I said at the beginning. That we are at a point now. Where everything we do has to fit in the vision. We can't do stuff just for the sake of doing it. I I don't want to say this negatively, but I want to say it so you understand. We can't, and I'm going to use this term even though we're not using this term anymore. We can't have church for the sake of having church. That doesn't please God and doesn't do us a lick of good. So everything we do has to be intentional. Every gathering, every small group, every other thing we do has to be intentional. Amen? Has to fit with furthering division. Has to fit with helping you become more equipped to be uh, uh, to, to the work of your ministry, as, as Ephesians says. We're actually going to get that next week. So, as a part of that, now before you panic, we understand this may take a little bit of adjustment if we go this route. And I'm not sure if we go this route fully yet, there's some things we need to discuss. But because the Lord, and everybody say the Lord, I've learned that when Jesus shuts the door, don't break it down. And sometimes when he shuts it, bolts it, locks it, and nails it shut, that's a good sign. Don't break it. We have tried numerous times over the last. Two years almost, and especially over the last five months, to find a facility away from the building, away from here, over towards where we are. We've talked about this, we've we've asked you to pray about it, help us. We have tried, we've looked, we've put contracts on places, fell through. It is it is it just we've hit one roadblock after another. And I'm thinking, okay, God, you don't, this is not the way you operate you have a everything else he's done has fallen fall into place so saying all that for the for the foreseeable future and you say foreseeable how long is that it's at least till next week and I don't mean that I don't know how how long foreseeable is but we are going to continue to be here using this facility for at least a little while longer because one reason is is We don't want to rent something or lease something. That's a better way of putting it. Lease something that's going to put us in a bind that we're going to outgrow. Because then what are we going to do? And we don't want to put something that's so financially taxing that we have to determine between facility and ministry. Everything we're doing has been ministry focused. We don't want to be facility focused. So saying all that, it appears that right now we're going to continue to use this facility. However, there are more things we would like to do, and we're going to be doing intentional. Remember, we talked about intentional. We want to do more intentional training on midweek time versus just coming and having normal Thursday night. We've done for the last however many years. But because of that, we're only right now with with the way Central is doing the things that they're doing, we are restricted to this room. So, trying to find a solution, and we also know that traffic is an issue. The solution that we're talking about considering is potentially moving Thursday night to Wednesday night. Several reasons for that. Before you panic and you leave out here going, that's it, I quit. That's not decided yet. I don't know when it would happen. It's just a consideration because of several things. Number one it would free up the building for us to use more rooms to facilitate more teaching and training than just being in here. Number two, we would get upstairs so that we could stream live and record stuff that you're not able to see, or those of you that couldn't make it, you could still watch live. And three, from what we've talked about, and and some of you may agree, or disagree, I, I'm not saying that negative. We find that traffic gets worse the farther into the week you go. So Wednesday is only a day before, but we find sometimes traffic is lighter on Wednesday than it is on Thursday. That's not always the case, but it seems like it is the case. So there's a potential that we may shift from Thursday to Wednesday. Now, let me say this really quickly. I understand that some of you may have schedules, work schedules, other things you already have in place that it would be hard for you to adjust. Right now, we understand that we'll work with you. You'll work with us. Remember, I've said this before. Be patient with us. We'll be patient with you. There may be some things we'll have to work through on some of this to give time, if we did this change, to adjust in your schedule some deals like that. However, our desire is to maximize our ministry and maximize your growth. And there's some things that I'd like to do in this, in this, in what we're going, for instance, one of the things we'd like to do on Wednesday is Sunday is built around discipleship training, but we'd like to we'd like to shift the middle of the week, Thursdays or Wednesdays, whatever day we do it, based more on ministry training and facilitating growth in you and your ministry. And I'd like to get back to the things where we did School of the Spirit other things, because I said this Sunday and I can say it again, we can't get so bogged down in our programs and so bogged down in things we're doing that we lose our spiritual identity, we lose our ability to walk in the Spirit, move in the Spirit, have operation of the Spirit where you're spiritual, we can have moves of God, we can go deep in the Spirit that we're so shallow in our, because we've been so taught, we've overtrained to the point we can't walk in the Spirit. Antioch is a church that is built on the operation and the move of the gifts of the Spirit. That's not going to change. And we can't get so wrapped up in a vision that we lose sight of our DNA. But unfortunately, for those of you that have been here post-2005, you haven't been exposed to as much as those who were here that were saved in the 90s when four times a year at least we were doing week-long prayer and fasting and deep spiritual stuff. That was a great training ground. So we need to get back to some of this stuff, and we want to facilitate that during the week. We also need to do, you know, one thing we're talking about is that a harvest is limited by the number of reapers. You can talk about having a harvest all you want, but we need reapers, which means we need to do more intentional training on praying people through the Holy Ghost, praying with people on the altar, praying with people one-on-one. This is not stuff you just learn through osmosis. It's stuff you need to be taught, stuff that needs to be worked with. So this is all the stuff we're talking about. There's tons more stuff. But this is just a sample of things that really don't fit in discipleship, but need to fit in those who are trying to become more spiritually mature and use the giftings and help you flow in the spirit and work through those things. So that's why we want to expand what we're doing on midweek deal because it's got to fit in the structure. The other thing we're going to do, what we would do on midweek is we would also begin to do some more uh, intentional uh, and uh, intentional training for those who would like to eventually move into small group leaders to wherever level you are right now. But if you feel like that's something God has called you into, that you'll be able to go through some training to prepare you for that, whether it's something you would move into right away or something down the road. But this is all stuff that needs to happen. We can't do on Sunday morning and we 're going to have to continue that, and so the the thought process is if we 're here we 're using the facility, we need more space here than we can 't use Thursday night because of the conflict we have with central, and this would give us the opportunity to kind of spread our wings and uh, and, and, and and be able to chance to get some other stuff going on and also have the abil- ability to stream some stuff to those who can 't make it, and maybe potentially catch a little bit of break with the with the um, um, uh, traffic, again, this is all stuff we're talking about. I know some of you; your schedule, Wednesdays harder than Thursdays. I get that, and so it's not good news to you if we go that route. Please be 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 patient with us, and we'll work through it. We work through it, but we would we would move things from Thursday to Wednesday to try to help facilitate some things better uh, until we found a new facility, and that could be. Next month, it could be next. I don't know when it is. But I don't want to find a facility for us to grow out of it. And we're going to grow. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. And what good is it to sign a five-year lease only to find out within a year, man, we shouldn't have done that because now we're spending money on a place we can't even use. So we can stay here. We've got ample room if we need to. I'm not saying that's what we're going to do. I'm just talking out loud. Um, it, it, I talked to the bishop actually not too long before church started. Uh I was had a chance to talk to him really quickly on the phone. I just shared this with him today and um he sort of left the ball up in our court what we do to facilitate this because he understands sort of the things that we're working against and what we need to do. So I just wanted to throw that out there. We'll probably have a full decision on for it uh in a week or so if we're really gonna go that route and possibly when we would start. But I just something I want you to kinda have in your mind and you say, Well, it's just one more change. I One more change. Why are we doing this? Another change. We're not changing for the sake of changing, okay? I know some of you are struggling. It's everybody, oh my goodness, we changed Sundays. Now we're changing this and changing that. So much change. We are trying to change to maximize the vision God's given us. But I got to be honest with you. If we're going to change, it kind of better just to get everything out of the way now. Then wait for everything to settle down and to do something else. So I'm not saying that means we're doing it next week. I'm just simply saying is for those of you that feel like everything's up in the air, there's a lot of change going on, from my natural side, I apologize. From my spiritual side, we got to go forward. We got to do what we got to do. And I understand some of you are just, this is too much for you you mess with my Sunday, some of you from Severn, you're like, man, you mess with that, and then you mess with this, and I gotta be at church 15 minutes later, and I'm, it's too much, now I can't even come to church Sunday night, now you gotta go to small group, and now you're telling Thursday, I've been coming to Thursday church. Well, don't forget, it wasn't that long ago, we went from Monday to Thursday, we did okay there. And those of you that have been around, we went from Thursday to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we got little more carnal we did Monday, Tuesday, then we got more carnal we just did Monday. And we did Monday forever. Who goes to church on Monday? We did. <laughs> Whew. I, I gotta admit, I just a terrible thing to say. I don't miss those Monday services. Whew. There was nothing worse than a Tuesday brain fog from all that. So those of you before you panic, we jumped from Monday to Thursday, and we all survived, and no one died. I think we could possibly move from Thursday, to Wednesday, and everyone stay, stay together. So we'll figure that out. We'll get more information to you. Uh, but more than likely, if we do that, what we will do, and I'm probably not going to get this part two tonight. I don't think I'm back and do it next week. If we do that, and we come back, and we do, we do the change, one thing I'd like to do is... I'd like to be able to give you sort of a, uh, uh, whether it's, I'll just say quarterly for now. I'd like to give you a quarterly breakdown of what we'll be doing on Thursday nights. So you can see. I don't, I, 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 I want to get away from, and I know what Brother Grossbach said, and I respect what he said. If y'all remember what he said, he corrected me. He was very kind, but he corrected me. And I, I, I'm not going back and, and the man of God spoke and I'm going to say it. But I, I will say this. I know A lot of you get off late. I know a lot of you spend good gas money to get here. It's not right down the street. I know there's a lot of thought, effort, planning for you to get here. I get that. And the last thing I want to do is to take all that effort that you do to get here and just throw something at you just because we're supposed to be here. That's disrespect to you, my opinion. So I want us to maximize what we're doing. If you're gonna make this if you're gonna make the, the choice to be here and you're gonna go through and adjust your schedule and get off work and come here, I want you to feel like when you come here, there is value in what you're doing here. And not only that, but what you're doing here is helping fulfill what God's doing in the entirety of Antioch West. I don't think we can say that right now, but I think we can if we start to progress in this. So once again, that's something that maybe you'll be hearing about here in the next little while that we could potentially be changing and tweaking as we get a little farther into this um, to to maximize what we're doing. But I will say this one more time. I'm not rambling, but I want you to know this. If we do make that change, it's not making the change to go from Thursday to Wednesday because it's more convenient. We're not making this out of convenience. We're making this because by changing it, it could potentially maximize our use of this facility and maximize our ability to provide you with more opportunity for teaching and training, okay? That's the reason why we would change it. It's not changing it because of the traffic or this and that. It's a spiritual change, not a natural change, okay? I, 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 I want to try to make things, try to help you out with, with some of the things, but nothing we can do can ever be based in a spiritual decision, a natural decision it has to be spiritual. Amen? Praise God. All right. The yesters will come. We're going to pray. And we're going to receive our offering this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for what you're going to do, what you've already done. We pray. We thank, give you all the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, I speak blessing over your people. I bless them in Jesus' name. I bless their families. I bless their finances. I bless their homes. I bless their health. I bless their going. I bless their coming. I bless them in Jesus' name as we give. Amen. Let's give unto the Lord for just a moment if we can. Praise God.